listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. We've got Isaac in our headphones making sure that we've got everything fact-checked and our taxes in on time. And it is with a heavy heart that I have to reveal this week that I, because of some very egregious things that I have done, I have been uh, sacked from Not Good Enough, the show. Um, I will be leaving in approximately six to eight months, maybe, and I'm going to get about $30 million in a golden handshake. It's a terrible time for me. I, I would like I would like everyone to respect my privacy, my family's privacy in this troubling time. Um, I will be back on next week and for the next few months still doing exactly what I'm doing, but I have been fine. And I've yeah. got to say, I feel and, real bad for what I did. And let that be a lesson to the rest of you, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mitch did something that was pretty unforgivable And we have terminated him immediately after sort of thinking about it for a while And so following that termination, he will continue to be the host for the foreseeable future uh, And uh, we're giving him $30 million It's really hard to find someone who can talk on a podcast, you know And that's the harshest punishment that we can we can think of as well Alright, let's not make this riff go personal Alright, alright, alright <laughs> This is of course in reference to the CEO of Rio Tinto Because it turns out they blew up those sacred sites on purpose knowing full well what they were doing with multiple other options to not doing it they lied to everybody about it they lied including in parliament their, they lied in their defense saying oh we didn't really know when they'd clearly hired lawyers in advance knowing how fucked this would be <laughs> they made a documentary about how fucked it would be to blow it up <laughs> and then blew it up and they were like we didn't know like how spiteful yeah. Is that choice like you know you've been given numerous other opportunities? This one specifically had so much less actual benefit to you profit-wise, but you just decided to go up with blowing it up anyway. Well, it's it's not even spiteful. It's just it's just like that level of sociopathic where you just don't see that as being an issue. They're like, okay, so we got we got a few options. This one will get us a little bit more iron ore, but will destroy a, an irreplaceable, extremely priceless sacred site. And they're like. Okay, so it gets a bit more iron ore. Well, obviously, we'll do that. So with all of that, with all of that that happened, um, Rio Tinto did a very, very honourable thing where they sacked their CEO in... <laughs> our document has way too many quotation marks around sacked just to really bring the point home. <laughs> they essentially fucking didn't. He's getting a golden handshake on his way out and he's the he's also going to be the interim CEO for months from now. About six I months. They mutually agreed he would leave um, like in six months. So just to, uh, to clarify what exactly that golden... Handshake, or rather, the golden parachute. Into I, I don't get my, I don't know my metaphors for this, but the golden parachute. It's golden. That's the point. The golden shower that this CEO is getting is worth between seventeen point five million and twenty five million dollars, and he also gets STI shares worth six million dollars. And no matter when he ultimately finishes, another twelve months fixed pay of two point six million dollars. I didn't know you could get STI shares from a golden... Ha uh, never mind. <laughs> pulling the ripcord of my golden parachute out of that joke. Don't worry about it. I just... Just imagine having a job and you fuck up so badly that it's mentioned in newspapers for like days or weeks Around on the end. world. Around the fucking world. And your boss goes, oh, well, we'll keep keep paying you even just your minimum wage. And we'll, we'll make sure you're taken care of. Like, it's the weird, just the ability to fail upwards and to, to fail into better positions for yourself and your family. Absolutely fucked. 
it's not even like uh, just mentions of newspapers worldwide. This is a historical event. This is something that will be in history books in terms of a destruction of a natural, mm. you know, piece of history. This has shamed their industry. Yeah, this is like on level with the ExxonMobil. Like iron mining looks worse because of this. Um, imagine if you got caught stealing from the till and you were allowed to stay there for the rest of the week, let alone six more months. Okay. Um, and I, and I just want to think about a hypothetical imaginary world where they took that, you know, $30 million bonus or whatever and gave it to the traditional owners of that area. Can you imagine? That'd be <laughs> fucking amazing that they just got $30 million. Whoa. No, they've just given it to this one guy who blew up the site. It's yeah, I think this is a good time to bring up my maths again, where I point out that $10 million represents giving one person $100,000 a year for 100 years, and that's what $10 million represents. So this guy's got three people, 100 years, $100,000 a year. <laughs> that, that, it's it's an insane amount. Even $10 million is more than any person on Earth should need lifetime. And this guy is getting $30 million as a punishment. Resigning in disgrace. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. Different Three rules. times the wealth lifetime maximum that any one person could reasonably spend. I'll never do it again. All right. <laughs> but we have a lot of corruption to get through this week. Uh, so let's move on. Back to some old <laughs> bread and butter issues of uh, not good Hold enough. on a second. I do have one more point that I want to hit about this. Okay. Even though there's more and more corruption, there's always corruption. It's never going to go away. That... Everyone's real mad about the Duke and Gorge getting blown up because it was this historically significant mm-hmm. thing for the traditional owners of that area. Meanwhile, in Victoria, bloody dictator Dan is going to destroy <laughs> the Jabberung birthing trees, even though they are also a like hundreds and hundreds of years old, like historically significant, culturally significant thing for the traditional owners of that area, just to make way for a bit of highway. They're all gone. This is Dan Andrews, our, our beautiful left-wing benevolent leader. Also sexy. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you, if you fucking stand with Dan and you're also mad about the Duke and Gorge stuff, like, fix your fucking head. What's the matter with you? <laughs> um, yeah, because some people would say, oh, why are you so pissed off about the Duke and Gorge thing? What about all the rest of the Aboriginal sacred sites? Well, like, yeah, we're fucking pissed well, yeah, off about that. We wish, <laughs> we, wish, we wish we could be pissed off about all of them. This just happens to be the one that somehow has broken the public consciousness, so we're going to write it as hard as we can and get yeah. as many CEOs disgraced and getting their $30 million golden showers I, as I'm, we can. I, 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 just, I just don't forget... Fucking Dan Andrews should get $30 million as well. Just, like, don't leave him out. Because <laughs> Rio Tinto would probably blow up multiple sacred sites a year if they could. And probably have. They just the thing, they probably to hush do. up most they of them. They almost certainly have. Yeah. We just don't yeah. hear about half this shit. But, yeah. No, I, I, I'm going to go so far as saying I reckon Dan Andrews should be in line for maybe 32 and a half, 35 million. I'm serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every suburb in Melbourne is probably built on about 50 sacred sites. Uh, Melbourne. I, Australia. I, I, I yeah. mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. What do you think the sign-off at the end of the podcast means? <laughs> 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 Fucking hell. Oh, uh, why, why are we so fucking punchy oh, and positive about such dear. negative shit? That's, what, that's our brand. 
Bridget McKenzie and the sports rot scandal are back in the news, sort of. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get to I'll, I'll get to the weirdness of it in a little bit. But if you don't remember it, um, Bridget McKenzie was the sports minister in the Liberal government at the time, and they had what was supposed to be an impartial scheme to give money to sporting clubs all around the country to help them fix up their footy fields yeah. and to and to get the facilities up and running. And it was alleged at the time that they were deliberately targeting um, places in marginal seats or seats that they could potentially win during the election. It was just pork barreling. They were just going, here's some money, please vote for us. Here's some money, please vote for us. They were using the sports grants as a campaign chest. Exactly. Because they were meant to be giving them to the needy little towns that needed a new changing room or whatever. But instead they gave them to often towns that did not need that stuff, but they just wanted to win some political points. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so and so as this has been going on for six months or more now, it's just come out that there was like there were spreadsheets with these like coloured little codes to make sure they knew exactly which seat was where and where they could spend the money and blah blah blah. And for the longest time there was what I thought was confusion or secrecy about whether or not Scott Morrison had himself a personal hand to play in these sort of things. And and did Bridget McKenzie know what was going on? And did they actually rot the system? And the news story that I saw this week, the lead line was, Bridget McKenzie's office drew up talking points for a meeting with Scott Morrison that noted a $70 million expansion of the sports grants program would help fund 109 more projects in marginal and target seats. So, just, so he's seen it. So it's he knew. So it's so it's right there. Yeah, and 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 all of the stuff in the report was just sort of like, oh yeah. And when and when Bridget McKenzie got personal emails back from Scott Morrison, being like, yeah, let's be corrupt. They had a laugh about it and went to the pub, and we knew about that for months. Like, the, the the weird thing about this sports raw thing for me is that it just seems like it has slipped from not knowing who was involved to just sort of accepting that Scott Morrison himself was personally involved, but we can't do anything about it or well, something. If there wasn't like a national crisis happening at the moment with the name, the, you know, with the letter C, um, we wouldn't we wouldn't have um, you know this sliding underneath the radar as it is. But also, crisis what, what the letter C? You but, have to be more specific. Our prime minister's a cock. Is, that <laughs> is it the cops? But, is it corruption? Just can't climb it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the but, CEO of Rio Tinto. Sorry, Evie. What I don't like. The, it was a surprise to me that the Senate inquiry is still going on. Like, I actually right. thought it, it had wrapped up. And I realised that the wheels of bureaucracy are quite slow and, you know, inquiries and investigations do take some time. But the fact that this is still going on, you know, under the radar and it's not getting as obviously as much publicity as it normally would if there wasn't, you know, national disasters and a, a, a pandemic happening at this one time. But this is it. This is the smoking gun. Well, this is what pisses me off is Labor or, or anyone, they could pick one of these scandals and just hammer it until someone gets fired. But they, they move on and the next scandal and then they go, oh, that's nothing. And then they move on to the next scandal and Barnaby Joyce is still in, in government and Bridget McKenzie is still in government and they never. Nothing ever actually, really happens. They never pin anyone on these things. Yeah, they nothing happens. If it, they let them get away with shit. Do you guys remember that there was a branch stacking scandal that engulfed Victorian Labor Party and then barely a month later there was a federal liberal branch stacking scandal mm. that didn't engulf anyone or anything? What did <laughs> I, well, Anthony Albanese said um, that it was a failure of government <laughs> and then he moved on, I think. <laughs> Anthony Albanese strongly recommended that they knock it off and they didn't, but he's, he, 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 he told them. Anthony Albanese, he went on record as hard as he possibly could. He said that's a failure of Scott Morrison's leadership. He gave Scott Morrison he gave Scott Morrison thirty million dollars. What else do you want him to do? <laughs> when do you reckon is the point 
in Australian political history, at least, where either side, either the the Liberals or the uh, or the Labor Party, realised that consequences wouldn't actually come to them if they decided to you know hack shit up. Like so this is thirty two. It's just section thirty two. Yeah. 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 I, I was going to say, I reckon it was when they could, when they just decided to not leave parliament when they could have been dual citizens and then Trump getting elected. I think globally that was a big moment where people could just be like, oh, we could have been doing that the whole time? Fuck. Rules aren't yeah. real. So for the international listener, the Sorry, Section yeah. 32 scandal was a period of Australian government history where it came out that due to just like a quirk of legislation that was the Section 32, um, many of our ministers were not actually eligible to be ministers. If you're eligible for a dual citizenship, you're not eligible to be a minister. And they were. And it, it came out, the first couple that, that came out, they were like, oh, shit, whoops. And they stood down. These were some Greens Party uh, MPs. And then basically as soon as people started picking it apart, they're like, oh, and you, and you, and you, and you three, and you. And all of them were just like, nah. uh, we're just going to stay ministers though, even though it's illegal. And everyone was like, all right. And that's the end. And, and nothing that's happened. when it sort of just became okay to break the law. Because yeah. it basically illegal. established that that law's dumb, though, is a valid excuse for breaking it. And, you know, I'm an anarchist. Of course, it's a valid excuse for breaking it. But it also means that you don't need to prove that you didn't break the law to get away with breaking any law if you're in government anymore. You just need to say that law's dumb, though, and it's okay. Well, you don't even need to say that. You just you just need to be like, ah, fuck it. Like, no one is going to hunt you down on something. Turns out there's no higher power that watches the watchman. Um, if you're in yeah. government, you can do whatever the fuck you want. If you get caught in a corruption scandal, then on days, you know, one to five, you just be like, oh, yeah, I'm looking into it. Oh, yeah, I'm very contrite, blah, blah, blah. And then on day six, you can start saying, oh, you're not still going on about that, are you? And that's it. <laughs> yeah. You're done. Can we not politicize this? It's a collision of things of like our extremely short news cycle and people's short-term memory and the and just the whole everything happens so much and there's constantly like five different corruption scandals happening at once that you don't really have the brain space to focus on every single one of them. So eventually they drop off. But yeah, just, <laughs> I, I just feel like Section 32 was definitely the start of, oh, okay, that well, if I'm just going to stay here because I've broken the law, I guess that's free for all for everything else. Wait, was it section 44? Isaac's just chimed in to say we got our number wrong. Uh, it was section 44 and not section 32. I think section 32 is when Palpatine told them to kill all of the <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> Stealing a line from the fantastic podcast, No Turning Back. But in Landlords of Dogs news, uh, the Real Estate Institute of Victoria, which is a body that sort of like looks after, like it has landlords as their clients and it deals with real estate agents and stuff as well. It's the it's the Real Estate Institute of the state of Victoria. Uh, they recently sent uh, around an email uh, telling their landlord clients not to engage in good faith negotiations with their renters over rent reductions during the COVID lockdowns. Mm. You, you may remember that uh, different states went uh, different ways with this, but one of the things, at least in Victoria, was, oh, we can't help you, but it would be great if landlords could negotiate a, a slight rent reduction in some circumstances for renters. Mm. Well, the Real Estate yeah. Institute of Victoria sent out an email saying you should just definitely not fucking do that under no circumstances should you try to lower your rent for renters 
they're having they're pissing their pants about the fact that the there are um, no evictions until March in Victoria. They also can't do open house inspections or um, those things where the person talks too fast and rich people like to spend money with their blood up. Um, you mean auctions? And, <laughs> yeah, whatever. And they <laughs> um, and they can't properly do inspections on renters' houses as they come in and like a like a madam from an old movie like wipe a finger along a fireplace and like mm, mm. dust. Oh dear me, no, this won't do at all. Yeah, the quote itself is is just phenomenal. Oh, oh. The, so they've they've said that they they want their landlord clients to flood VCAT, which is the Consumer Affairs Tribunal, with a goal of overwhelming the system to force the state government to intervene. The quote is: "We have seen and continue to see illegal rent strikes with no consequences until balance and common sense is restored. We will embark on a moratorium strike. Let's see how the system copes without our cooperation." <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Just sorry, they- who's been doing the rent strike? Because like that's I'm the waiting. thing I want to know. Yeah, I-, I think the people doing the rent strikes are the people who have been fucked by coronavirus <laughs> who can't afford rent. Yeah. Like, oh, a rent strike is it? No, the economy has collapsed in the worst crisis in the world. You, I've been looking for a rent strike in Australia and have been trying to organise one on the back end with a few different people. No one's re- organising a rent strike at all at the moment. But it it is really weird to see the real estate institute of Victoria kind of figure out like how um, strikes and unions work. Like the whole idea of overwhelming systems to push your agenda. Like, but just just think about what type of fucking necrophage, horrible, evil, suffused <laughs> creature from a fantasy novel you have to be. We're going on a moratorium strike. A moratorium on rent is them saying, hey, don't worry about rent for a little while. We'll put it off. They want to strike against that, you Fucking cunts! <laughs> I just great, the um, worst. Lionel mm. Hutz imagining the beautiful world thing, uh, where they're just like, "Well, a rent strike is it? Let's see how you fare in a world without land. <laughs> <laughs> see what happens then." The, the thing that's so funny here is like uh, the whole point of a strike is you deprive somebody of your labour of of the things that you provide. <laughs> if you if you're garbage men and you go on strike, fucking no one's garbage goes out. Everyone suffers. Within a week, because their bins are overflowing. If you're a nurse or a teacher or a supermarket shelf stacker, if you go on strike, it hurts your bosses really badly and they're forced to consider your demands. If you're a landlord and you go on strike, like, I don't understand what happens at that point. Like, literally, the land doesn't disappear. (laughs) Who's going to sexually harass female tenants, Lang? Who's going to kick pets out? The whole plan to flood VCAT, if that would have forced the government to do anything. Like, I realise I'm being an optimist here, but if it forced the government to do anything, it would mostly force them to say, shut the fuck up and stop flooding VCAT. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So just as a, as like a quick wrap-up on this story, the, it's come out that this actually, their call, the email that they sent around itself, might actually um, be a breach of conduct, it might interfere with price-fixing laws, and it was essentially very possibly illegal to do what they did. Um, On Thursday of this week, around September 11, that's the marker for this week, uh, (laughs) we're in lockdown. (laughs) Time doesn't matter. Um, But uh, Victoria's Consumer Affairs Minister, Melissa Horn, I think tried throwing them a bone because she had said, that she actually come out and said, oh, they amended what might be um, an illegal, and she didn't say this, but definitely a moral stance for them to take. They amended it. They, they, they said, oh, no, actually, we don't mean all of that. And the fucking Real Estate <laughs> Institute of Victoria rejected her statement. They stood by their initial statement, which may have been illegal. And they're just like, nah, we, 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 we support that. Fuck poor people. Like, 
just incredulous. Mm. It's fucking amazing that they think they're they've got a, like the moral high ground on this issue. They refer it's to great. themselves as like the forgotten people in the lockdown. <laughs> fucking losers. Because <laughs> they they forgot to pay us rent. <laughs> so this this is the thing. This is always my sort of hobby horse. But it is illegal to own um, private land, and the landlord and the rent seeker is the sole issue of every recession and depression the Western world has ever seen. That it it you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to own land. You should be able to own things that you know come about through labor. Labor creates wealth. Good on that. But to own the land people have underneath them that they need for their businesses or for mm. their housing is fucking immoral. It's disgusting. And the fact that so many entitled Australians think that the whole point of land and housing is to save up, buy a plot of land, give it to someone else, and then just siphon money from them into your bank account, and mm. it's always supposed to grow. You're never supposed to have anything bad happen to you. It's only supposed to get better and better, and you finally made it. You've clocked it. You've, you've won Australia. Yep. Fuck you. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Everyone go read Henry George, Progress and Poverty. It's a crazy thing that even if you're of the sort of um, neoliberal persuasion that, you know, the free market is good and... People should be able to invest and and reap the benefit of their business decisions. The fact that real estate in this country and in a lot of countries is often seen as like an investment goes against the fact that landlords and the government keep trying to make it a risk-free investment. The whole point of investment, the whole reason you make profit is you're meant to be taking on some risks and then profiting from your good decisions. So you buy some land and then then you, you give it away or you, you, you rent it out and you make some money. But if you don't manage to rent it out, then you'll lose money and that's an investment. But if it's an investment that you can't lose on, the whole system collapses. This is, That's Boomer's approach to like real estate in general though. They can't, they're allergic to risk, but mm. they continue to, you know, hoard property and wealth in that way that if a risk were to happen, they think that the ultimate victims in that scenario and that it shouldn't be happening to them even though- And they need a bailout. It's susceptible to market forces. It's yeah. just also, for me, the main thing is that, like, it's it's just weird and gross and disgusting, and I understand why it happens, but that, that landlords and real estate agents aren't focusing their ire in the right direction. Like, it should be the renters going, we can't afford rent. I can't pay rent. Fuck you, I'm going on strike. And what they're doing at the moment is they're going, no, fuck you. You have to pay us rent. It's our rent. We need the money. What they should be doing is turning around looking the opposite direction and going, oh, well, who, who do we owe money to? Why do I have to keep getting rent? Oh, it's because I've got these mortgages to pay off. Why don't I have a freeze on my mortgage properly? Why am I going to be have to paying money for that when I don't get anything? And then they look at the bank and go, actually, fuck you. You had billions and billions of dollars in profit, mostly through fossil fuel investments. Why don't you stop these mortgages and then I can stop rent? We could be... It'd be disgusting, but we could be aligned with landlords and real estate agents going, absolutely not, we need to stop this process now. But at the moment, they're focusing on poor people because they're all fucking assholes. Uh, yeah, it, well, they've got a value system based on wealth. And they, and go, they hate if, poor people. If you have wealth, you must be good. I have wealth. <laughs> I'm good. I own a lot of things. People try to take that away. People have more wealth than me, like banks and, and CEOs and stuff. They must be even better. It's not yeah. And also, it's ha that happens when you internalise that sort of bootstraps mentality of, well, if totally. something wrong happens, like if something happens, happens to me it's ultimately my fault and if i was just a better business person um i would be successful yeah. and rich and it's not the bank's fault that this is happening it's because you know something's fucked up and someone's done something to me yeah i have this house because i've earned it yeah um if people have things they've earned it so the banks have earned it the system is good
There's an amazing story from the Saturday paper this week uh, from Osman Faruqi, who does some amazing work at the Saturday paper and the 7am podcast. Shout out to, uh, to those guys, which seems to suggest like almost without doubt that Daniel Andrews and the Labor government just totally fucked up their response to the coronavirus. Um, what he details in this article, in this paper, is that they really, really fucked up on the contact tracing. Um, there were leaked calls that were given to the Saturday paper, which I'm guessing was just someone with their phone recording right near like a Skype meeting. Like the phone's just off the camera. and They've just got the recording thing on. But in that, um, Sutton Health Minister, or the, the, the Chief Health Officer, um, was talking to some uh, doctors and some, some people who need to be in the know privately. And he admitted that there's been some issues with the contact tracing. Now, we won't get into all of the details because 7am podcast is going to cover this tomorrow, Monday morning. So go listen to that. Or you could just click the link to the article as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but some of the details in this article are fucking mind-blowing. So yeah. what ended up happening was coronavirus hit Victoria and we had to do contact tracing. Now, what that is, if, if you didn't know the details of it, essentially, you would get a positive case of corona your details would go to these contact tracers and then they would just trawl through all of your information that run interviews and they would try to contact every single person that you may have been in contact with in a way that could spread coronavirus. Mm. It turns out they had like 14 people at one point running that contact tracing and they were doing it with pen and paper. They had to get Wait, faxes. so this is, is this 14 people for the entirety of Victoria? When it was started at some point, yeah. Wow. The system was fucking overrun so quickly. And so there was this these outdated models where they had to be like doing these phone calls. They were doing pen and paper tracing. And like I said, they were sending faxes to each other. It says in the article, there are means for you to get electronic notification for things like gonorrhea. And you can get like just notified over the, over the internet super quick. And yet for Corona, they were having to send faxes to all these different places. And so that was already, the system was under fucking strain. And so what the Daniel Andrews government did was just send out millions of dollars in contracts to private companies in a really hodgepodge and disorganized fashion, which has led us to just before this uh, second wave that hit Victoria, where you had like two different government departments and three of these like major different corporations all running the same thing and a third private company was running call centers and another I'm- company was running these things and it was unwieldy this is identical to what happened with the quarantine in that we decided to you know utilize private companies with no experience in the sector exactly in the health sector and, and it's just the collision of all of these different, you know, failure points has led yeah. to our current situation. And like, okay, if there was maybe one of those things and we use like government facilities in every other way, it probably wouldn't have fallen apart as dramatically as it did. Well, I'm seeing yeah. here that they got things like the Hello World Travel Agency that gave them $3.6 million to that. run a COVID-19 hotline. These are travel agents. Um, they have no experience in health, and and this is this is this is where it fell down. This is where we had the outbreak. It wasn't just that, like, oh, the systems were bad, and they were taking, they, you know, they were they were all trying to talk to each other all at once, and it was too hard for them to manage. It ended up that sometimes, like, when the system got overwhelmed, right before we were having like hundreds, and then and then up to seven hundred cases a day, 
It was taking people up to two weeks to be notified that they were Mm. a close contact of someone with coronavirus and that they needed to self-isolate. By which case you're in hospital. But but not only that, you could have you you were spreading it for a week and a half without Mm. knowing that you should have been isolating. And that's why we ended up in this situation. Osman has something that he he left out of the article um, that he did put on Twitter, is that Victorian healthcare services were not overwhelmed at the 700 case mark. They were overwhelmed when our cases were in the double digits. Can I intervene with something I just remembered? I was like, I know that name, Hello World. Where have I heard that before? Um, Hello World is a listed company of which the Liberal Party treasurer, Andrew Burns, is the chief executive. Right. That was oh, good. The one that Scott Morrison was the CEO of for a while oh, or something. Yeah, that's he right. Got, like fired. He wasn't the CEO. He was like marketing executive, and he got, yeah, he got fired for uh, unspecified dodgy behaviour. And Matthias <laughs> Coleman has been in trouble uh, previously for getting free flights for a family holiday to Singapore from them. So there you go. <laughs> good one, Dan Andrews. You fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> just a reminder from this podcast it's like oh if I where have I heard that name before always google it because there's always something interesting in Dan Andrews defense though look you've got to outsource to somebody right because we didn't have a sort of established you know proper healthcare pandemic response beforehand because who could have possibly foreseen a pandemic despite obviously experts warning about us being vulnerable for uh, years ahead of time but you know once you've outsourced it to that like you've got to find a big government private you know contractor service and it's Australia. So they're all really corrupt. Mm. You know, <laughs> who's your fucking options? You got Hello World. You got Circo. You, like, I'm honestly it. shocked they didn't go with Circo. Yeah. <laughs> but so, so this is the weird thing for me. This is the interesting part is that obviously we've seen New South Wales corona numbers stay relatively low. They, they peak at maybe like close to 20 sometimes, but they've kept it under 30 for fucking ages. And an interesting big part of that, and obviously causation and correlation are all the same, but <laughs> New South Wales went really hard on utilising the public sector and using um, the federal government resources that were given to them. They used a lot of the Defence Force for contact tracing work. They expanded parts of the healthcare sector in the public sector mm. to do the work for them, which, like, for me, mm. that's that's interesting because it is yet another data point in the favour of showing that private companies just aren't more efficient and don't get better results. Sometimes you want the government to look after things, if for no other reason than having a centralised database and a centralised workforce is fucking good, like for a pandemic response. It's also just like, by definition, that the private contractors are like, hey, what if we had this service, but we also had somebody trying to scam us out of as much money as they could? <laughs> <laughs> like, what if that was the other thing that they were doing? I can't imagine that the New South Wales government would actually learn anything from that particular data point, though. Because oh, God, no. <laughs> the, the, like, you know, oh, yeah, nationalisation works in our favour. We're going to fire everyone right after this is all done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, that's the, that's the other point for me thinking about it was that I wonder if, because the New South Wales government is liberal, I'm wondering how much of their, like, acceptance of federal intervention was just a way of just... Just, just, just currying favour with the with Scott Morrison. Just being like, we we love you, <laughs> Fed government. Thanks for all the military. Like, I, I, we love our big beautiful prime minister. Because because Berejiklian, the current premier of New South Wales, has a fucking horrendous track record with privatising everything. Let's say everything. Um, and it's important to mention that. The Victorian government, like the number, since March, they have spent 116 million dollars on 85 separate contracts related to the coronavirus, to private companies. That is an insane amount of money to fuck up. I think the the number for me there 
is 85. It's less it's less about how yeah. much money they spent on a on a pandemic response. Yeah, spend a whole bunch of money. That's cool. It's that it's spread over that many companies. Like what how little piecemeal things. What are you all talking companies? About? No, no, 85 contracts. But yeah, some of them are with to the same company. But yeah, well, now yeah, all these still- tiny teams have to have to interact. Oh, let's sp- spend another thing to help someone help Microsoft design a, a service to help those two companies talk to each other. If they were all <laughs> part of the public service, A, it would probably be cheaper. Um, B, they would not be trying to do these things to a profit because all of these companies trying to make profit out of this. Hello World uh, is not running a travel agency right now. They've probably gone, but how will we pay our shareholders? Um, <laughs> and now people are dying in uh, nursing homes. I, I really enjoyed the reaction to Oz's piece Um on the whole, like it's a fantastic piece. It's very well researched. Um, it's exposed the sort of lie of uh, benevolent dictator Dan. <laughs> but what I've really enjoyed, uh, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners would enjoy, is that the really fervent Dan stands who really love him and seem to think that every sort of criticism of him is uh, an LMP Murdoch lie um, have just totally lost their minds over this. It's just so funny. Um, and can can we, like, zoom out to the big picture here? Because obviously this is uh, another example of something we talk about a lot, which is fucking... You're taking money that should be in the public sector for public services because yeah. health and and pandemics are a public issue, um, and you're turning that into something that is going to private contracts. You've privatized our pandemic response. Um, and if there's one thing that we're seeing all over the world is that that fucking fails hard. It's not a good way to do it. Yeah, it's not a good way to and it and and this is also something that we're seeing to zoom out even further, with all of the big issues that are happening, like climate change. You know, you've got fires in America. It, it turns out that, you know, you, you've got your, your postal service in America. Both of those things, they're trying to, to take money away from the public sector and push it towards the private sector, and their entire country is collapsing and on fire. Um, in Australia, <laughs> we still are lucky to have a pretty decent... Oh, is that postal service privatised? <laughs> it's not, is it? Uh, it's semi-privatised. It's, yeah. And so now, uh, still, like, you know. so our postal service is absolutely running with a profit motive. Like, you, you, you've fucking seen an Australia Post shop where they're just like, "Oh, are you here to send mail? Maybe you want to buy a fucking hairdryer. Maybe you want to buy bloody Elsa and Anna figurines. Like, I want some fucking stamps in a box, guys. Why are you selling me some shit? Do you want a Snickers bar and a puzzle piece for six-year-olds? Australia Post shops just make me feel sad. I mean, admittedly, it's been like more than six months since I've actually had to step foot in one. But This this is such a terrible tangent, but I get so mad about Australia Post because (laughs) I I live in an apartment building and the the mailboxes are behind like the front door. So the only people that can get in are the Australia Post delivery people. And that means that 100% of my junk mail is just Australia Post pamphlets for random fucking (laughs) (laughs) in-flight shopping Bullshit. Oh, do you want a waterproof watch? No. I just don't want to be advertised to by the post office. And if if it, that was a well-funded public sector, you'd go in there, they'd be like, how many letters do you want to send? Yeah. Done. Don't worry about it. It's free. It's paid for by tax. We'll just take your thing and we'll send it somewhere else. Do you want to trace any diseases while you're at it? No? Okay. <laughs> Lang, you've zoomed us out way too far to Google Earth level. So I'm going to zoom it back in just a little bit. Just hit the wheel a little bit, but not go back all the way to Victoria. Let's zoom to just a federal Australian level. 
when we were talking about the, uh, the, right. the privatization of essential services from our fuckwit government. I got distracted talking about Elsa and Anna. So, <laughs> the Scott Morrison government and the federal government in general fucking love outsourcing shit to private companies. We rant about Serco running our offshore detention. We shouldn't even have offshore detention, but they run it and they do it badly. The federal government spends about $5 billion a year on private contractors, outstripping the number of public servants. The government outsources the majority of its job. And and when you outsource to a contractor, <laughs> not only do you probably get a worse uh, result because it's like, okay, if you work in a workplace doing a job, you know your workplace, you know your job, you can do that job pretty well because it's your job. If I was to like try and hire somebody else to do your job just for the short term, they would do a worse job. They'd have to learn your job from scratch. Um, they wouldn't understand the people you work with or anything about it. Um, they, they would probably do a shittier job. And I'd have to pay them more because you always have to pay consultants and contractors more um, than full-time staff. There is a loophole here that you're not thinking of, though, Lang, is that if you keep those private contractors in the same jobs for a very long amount amount of time, they will understand how to do the job really well. So just Mm. keep paying contractors heaps to stay in the jobs, well, and then, then and then you and then you don't have to worry about giving it to public servants. You can you're just spend assuming- five billion dollars a year on contractors. <laughs> I mean, you're assuming these are the same contractors. I I reckon they've rotate those contractors a lot because they're Probably. constantly getting to compete with each other, and also <laughs> yeah. because because you don't. If you get a contractor in. You're, you're paying that contractor, but you're kind of not their boss. They're still working for a separate company. And so you don't have a lot of oversight into their, their hiring, their internal cultural politics. Um, you don't have a lot of oversight into how they do the job or you, you can't really fire them very much. You can fire the contractor. You have more trouble firing individuals, say security guards. Um, and so the whole thing, like you lose that control over your public sector because you've said, hey, Serco, do you just want to handle offshore detention? Try not to kill too many people. Serco's like, we can't make that promise. And you're like, I don't care. <laughs> it's also a, a contractor doesn't cost a little bit more. They cost like, you know, more than double. They cost mm. way more to hire a contractor because you're not, when you're hiring a contractor, you're also hiring the receptionist who works at the contractor's, you know, contracting out building and all the managers of that. And the, you know, like the, the, it's a whole second fucking corporation. You're paying for their shareholders. And this is a result of the government, like whenever the government makes cuts to save on the budget, oh, we're going to we're gonna cut some money from the, the fire department or the, the health department or, or friggin' whatever, they're saving money. If it turns out those jobs are ones that actually needed to be done, like say everything we're seeing right now with the Victorian public health sector, we've been cutting the Victorian public health sector for decades, probably since when I was born. Then it turns out when something goes wrong and you did need all those services, now you've got to contract them out and you've probably just lost all that money again. Yeah, uh, 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 the Victorian government is obsessed with contracting things. Like, we can't, because the sort of thing is like, oh, you know, like, what if we need to expand and contract? We, we need that flexibility to be able to, like, let go of people. And if we hire them into the public service, then we're constrained by the public service hiring rules and that sort of thing. But we've <laughs> contracted out our fucking toll roads. Yeah. Just in case, like, oh, what if we don't have a toll road there? It's a road. We've contracted <laughs> out our public transport. The entire yeah. Melbourne public transport system is privately run, but the government pays them to privately just just, just run establish it a body to run just it. The, just you the fact that just... they used like the the contracted um, security guards for 
the quarantine to me yeah. shows that they didn't intend on taking it seriously from the very beginning. Because and just it, just the the lack of care in that specific decision alone just absolutely hmm. stuns me. I, I think it it speaks to just how brain poisoned they are, and that I think they really did care, hmm. and they still didn't think like that's maybe just how things are done. Contracting is a fucking stupid idea. So the reporting in the ABC that really got me, there's a link in the show note, obviously. The, this um, article seems to suggest that they had to do their own reporting, but they uh, found that there was um, 17,400 public servants in the Australian Defence Department and there are 28,600 contractors in the department, which just by itself, that's, yeah, that's, that's like an absurd number. twice as many. That's absurd. But the thing that got me about this, and I know, McLean, you had some thoughts on this as well, but it seems like what the Commonwealth does is they buy staff and list it as a goods and service for the um, defense, like for whatever department they're hiring for. That's because they have to get around the Commonwealth procurement rules, which explicitly warn the procurement does not include the engagement of employees. You can't be buying employees like this from the Commonwealth. You do actually have to be sourcing from, like, building up a workforce in the public sector and then just using in, like, very intense moments or, like, maybe, like, for a crisis or whatever, outsourcing like you can. But in this article, this is the quote from the ABC article. When asked about the legal basis of using labour hire firms, Public Service Commissioner Pete Woolcott's office did not respond directly. Instead, his spokeswoman said labour hire workers were not public servants, and so not the government's responsibility. Quote, Labour hire workers are generally the employee of the labour hire company from which their services are contracted, meaning the employment relationship is between the labour hire worker and the labour hire company. That was the issue. <laughs> yeah, that's the fucking problem. That was what you were asked about. So wow. is this like not only not only do we have a gig economy, we also have a gig government. <laughs> <laughs> we genuinely do. Fucking Uber Prime Minister. <laughs> There's no sense of permanence or wanting to establish like a, a legacy. Well, not even a legacy, but just like a, a continual. Uh, flow of service. A functioning country. Yeah. It's just always like, okay, yeah, you can just drop in and drop out. It's casualization of everything. Our Defence Department has almost twice as many, like, private contractors as it does actual public service. And, and like, and so those companies, those workers are, like, dependent on a company to pay their bills. That company is drawing a profit motive. They do not care about the defence of Australia. They do not care about the healthcare of Australia. That should be really worrying. That is a that is a very terrible thing for a democracy to be entirely run by private corporations. And, of course, we all know that the democracy is entirely run by corporations. The Australian government is a subsidiary of the Mineral Council. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think the reason that... Well, one of the reasons that this is so second nature to the government is like if you're a, a minister even the prime minister often your government job you might not be there for your entire life a lot of them aren't you'll you'll get out of that at some point and you'll go for a cushy high-paid contracting job probably contracting you back out to the government or lobbying or something like that and you'll probably get that job with the private companies that you have been contracting and you've built up this relationship with oh yeah, yeah. hello world needs a ceo here we go <laughs> yeah Mineral Council needs Wayne Swan on the board or whatever it is. Like, fucking, yeah. Yeah. So it's you, a revolving door. your time in government is all about cozying up to private companies, helping them strip the country dry, and then you hop over there and they give you a bit more money. Um, it's it's horrible. I reckon once you're in government, you should there should be laws against it. That's what I'm saying. You shouldn't <laughs> be able to own stocks. You shouldn't be able to go into the private. We should give you, you know, 
a modest retirement fund so you can live the rest of your days in anonymity in the country, never ever allowed to have a Twitter account. <laughs> Didn't realise you were a communist, Lang. Well... Anarcho-communist Lang I, with his I'm, ideas of please don't use government to corrupt yourself. Ah. I'm long on record as being in favour of sort of a monastic public service where as soon as you take office, you're just forbidden from owning any kind of wealth or property or, you know, like anything at all. Not that a start a family. You just get a modest income for the rest I've of I've always been of the opinion that if you work in politics or in the public service, it's almost like you don't want to be there. You're there... Yeah. Because you know you have to do like you know a public service or a public good. It's like like whenever I look at Bernie Sanders, I'm, I always get this this idea that like you know he wants to do the right thing, but also he's really fucking pissed off of being there. <laughs> I mean, there's there's like plenty of bureaucrats in the public service who are just doing jobs and they're doing perfectly good jobs at them. Um, I know that some of our listeners are public service bureaucrats and uh, bless those particular ones. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there's certain parts of the public service that are just people making things run that they don't have to be passionate about because it's just a, you know, a waterways service or something that is publicly owned that just does run. It's fine. And a lot of those people aren't corrupt. Um, But here's the thing. We already give our ex-prime ministers and whatnot payouts to live a comfortable life. What's Tony Abbott on? Like $200,000 a year just because he was prime minister once? What's Tony Abbott on? Are you uh, doing a little (laughs) nudge nudge to the fact that he's obviously a drug (laughs) man? Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, Allegedly. There's absolutely no way that the man's constantly on cocaine. He's a a former prime minister. It's a position of honour. He just behaves like he's constantly on cocaine. It would be absolutely ridiculous to think that any of those times you've seen Tony Abbott do something totally cooked, say that it bears any resemblance to someone on some type of amphetamine or upper or cocaine. It's just, it's such a weird coincidence that it would be it's, defamatory it's, it's, to mention it's it. Baffling. Don't even, don't even bring it up. There's no point. I'm not he even is a good Christian man. He's a good Catholic man who is in no way like just gnawing his fucking teeth to nubs in any of those weird <laughs> things that you see. I don't even think Tony Abbott's ever even seen cocaine. Just because you break a table at a party doesn't mean you were doing rails <laughs> off it. It means you were too busy. You, your Bible was too heavy and you broke a table. What? That brings up another point. If you end up being like a diplomat for the UK, you should have your pension cancelled. Why does he still have a pension? <laughs> yeah. Dual citizen Tony Abbott goes over to a traitorous Britain. He's just started off Tony time in another country. Like, and we're still giving him money? For what? Yeah. Boris Johnson fucking ran out of cocaine and he's like, <laughs> oh, no, because of COVID, or my usual guys fall. Hold on, I know someone. <laughs> he's flipping through the TV and he stops on Tony Abbott. He's like, hang on, that's it. I've yeah, got an idea. He stops on that footage of Tony Abbott being like, oh, I, 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 I've given you the, the answer that you deserve. And he's like... That's my guy. <laughs> That's yeah, my dear. That eyebrows. Tony Abbott seen boarding a private plane with like 16 huge duffel bags. It's like, oh, they're all, it's documents. Yeah, he it's, needs them to be Brexit. trade minister. Yeah. <sighs> and then Tony Abbott shows up on the first day of the job and he's like, what are you talking about? I don't do cocaine because there's no way. Next segment. <laughs> Uh, a man that should probably do drugs because he's a boring <laughs> piss and otherwise. Um, Scott Morrison. Uh, <laughs> I miss when we had prime ministers who were actively cooked instead of just evil. Like Tony Abbott, you'd be like, yeah, but he's weird and fucked. Scott Morrison, just like, 
You're just evil. You're just a horrible just little terrible. capitalist. At least Tone kept things interesting. <laughs> yeah. right? He'd eat an onion or, or lick somebody or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scott Morrison just bullies premiers. Um, there was this horrible fucking story. I don't really want to dwell on it, but Scott Morrison was on some terrible political propaganda um, radio show where he affected tears in a really unconvincing way about... One person who was, because of the lockdown and travel rules and quarantine and all that, couldn't make it to her father's funeral. That fucking sucks. Mm. We are in a pandemic. There's lots of tragedy happening. That's not in doubt. That's really unfortunate. Scott Morrison gets on radio to the national audience and starts (gasps) pretending to choke on tears and, and, and pretends to care about someone he wouldn't fucking spit on if they were on fire. Absolutely not in any way. Because it, it it had political leverage for him to do so. It was mm. it was the, the person was trying to get into Queensland. Uh, Queensland wasn't allowing them to go to the funeral, and so he appeared on radio when he was mm. crying to say that he had talked to the uh, Queensland Premier about letting just please let this person go to the funeral. Surely, in the midst of all of this heartache in COVID and everything that everyone's going through, surely just this once. This can be done. It can be done. And it's come out later that uh, according to the, uh, fuck, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk was just bullied. She just said, no, Scott Morrison called me up and he was a fuckhead about it. He was exactly the round, (laughs) soft, baby, bullying fuckhead. You know him to be just the (laughs) wet-lipped little shit at fucking preschool kicking other people's sandcastles over. And then when the teacher goes, can you not? He starts fucking crying and whimpering. Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then when the teacher turns away, he goes and fucking starts poking someone in the chest. He's a fucking, he's a, he's the shit bully, cunt, idiot, <laughs> fuckhead, right, right. shit, <laughs> moron, round-headed, doughy piece of shit. To cut in through, Mitch. This isn't even the first time he's done this. It's not. This, okay, so this is a common theme for him saying that he's moved to tears or that he's crying about something. He's actually uh, deployed this like once or twice now during um, coronavirus just to say that how much he feels for Australian families. But the reason why this one fucked me off so much is because the last time it really made like a big news splash that he was crying about something was when he was the um, when he was uh, first prime minister and he was talking about how he was crying and praying on his knees for asylum seekers that he caged. Oh fuck off! He did this in 2018. I'm pretty sure he's done it when he was the immigration minister as well. That it's like you know how his heart bleeds for them. Meanwhile, they're all dying. Yeah, the Biloela family is still fucking suffering on Christmas Island, you bloviating, fat-headed, racist, misogynist cunt, and yet you fucking have this somewhere in your heart to find it for this one person for a funeral. You do not care about them. He does not care about this person whatso-fucking-ever, and it is so horribly transparent. It is so fucking unbelievable that not one single person in the entire journalistic school in this country has had the guts to go up to him and say, that's bullshit, isn't it? Mm. What, why, why, doesn't your tra- why doesn't your track record follow? I'm going to disagree with Mitch here. Really, and th- this is this is my this is our evergreen argument that that's mm-hmm. always going to go on is is the sort of inner hearts and lives of the politicians. <laughs> <but, laughs> yeah, I'm going to suggest that Scott Morrison does care about refugees, and that he does care about this poor woman who couldn't attend her father's funeral. But the 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 way that that manifests is him feeling a little bad in his heart that oh, it's so sad that I have to do this to these innocent people to secure my own position of power, which is more important to me. 
Like the, the 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 he's like sure you know in a in a in a perfect world the, the Bill Willer family wouldn't have to be on Christmas Island she would be able to go and see her family you know like no. all of these things yeah. I'd love it to happen I I bear no personal ill will towards any of them but I will condemn them to hell because it benefits me and that's more important <laughs> yeah see I I I disagree. There are, you see the footage all the time on like people in cars at lights being filmed and it gets uploaded to Twitter of them just shouting horrible racist shit to people of just like being like, oh, I love Trump, build my fucking wall, go back home. There's nothing to suggest that those people, those same intentions, those same moral codes, those same attitudes towards people can't also be inside people who went to university and then got into politics. They just, they just understand that they need to keep them under wraps more. I just, I just fundamentally agree with you, disagree with you, McLean. In a way, I actually respect someone like Abbott or Dutton in a way when they talk about refugees and their sort of hardline stance. I almost respect that more because you can see that their morals and their beliefs totally line up with their actions. Yeah, there is something about like an Abbott and a Dutton saying much more forcefully. It's like, no, fuck you. Go back to where you fuck off. You it, like, it, it kills your soul a bit, but like at least yeah. you know they're being honest. Whereas like whenever I Whereas see like, Scott yeah. Morrison talking about like curries and how much he loves to like, mm. you know, pray for refugees. I was like, well, I guess somewhere in your head you've got a connection there that, you you know, that you can feel sorry for people as, as at the same time that you're killing them. I think he doesn't believe in anything. But the thing is, you've never seen Dutton or Abbott pretend to cry over this sort of stuff. But Joe Hockey also did the same thing, where he pretended to cry over refugees. Scott Morrison pretended to cry over refugees and then pretended to cry over this person. There is, it is contemptible that they are prete- that those tears aren't genuine. And so if you don't actually genuinely cry when you are the one person in a position to do something, then it's not out of apathy and it's not out of a small amount of care, but there's an overriding care. You have to actively hate these fucking people. No, that's that's where I disagree. I, that's, that's the core of my argument there is that we've got some people who are like, oh, these poor refugees, but they destroy refugees. And then we've got some other people who are like, I hate the refugees. And then they destroy the refugees. And I'm saying there is... No difference between those people. Scott Morrison genuinely cares about refugees. Scott Morrison doesn't care about refugees. Does not matter. We what matters that. is how he treats yeah. refugees. Yeah. He treats them like shit. He's a piece of shit. And it, it, whether it tears his heart up to tiny little shreds every single night, he's always losing sleep. Or whether he loves it because he personally hates them and he wants to see them suffer. Doesn't fucking matter a tiny bit. The end result is the same. The end result is the same. It doesn't matter. So when he's like, oh, it hurts me, fuck you, it doesn't matter. Treat him better or fuck off. I didn't realise you were a utilitarian, but yes, no, not good enough <laughs> as a utilitarian podcast. I, I mean, I 100% agree, but that's our that's our off-mic, like, fun little argument we run with each other, but yes. No, 100%. Doesn't matter. Doesn't fucking matter. He's, he's disgusting and evil, not because of what he feels, but because of what he does. I reckon if you're a prime minister or any kind of public as member of the public service there, you don't get to use your private life or even have a a private life or emotions right? that matter in in to us. I don't want to see interviews with your wife. I don't want to hear about what your kids did on holidays. I want to know about your policy decisions. Yeah, you're yeah. a politician. I completely agree with that. It's the whole sort of um, the liberal idea of would you have a beer with this person and does that mean we can appeal to the right wing? Exactly. I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care about any of that stuff as long as your actions – okay, sure, if your actions in your private life reflect – who you are as a politician, like in a positive way in terms of like, you know, I I care very passionately about the plight of refugees or about feminism and things like that. That's great. Mm. You know, a little cherry on top. But in the the long run, 
what you do to get like, you know, a little bit of a puff piece in the newspaper ultimately doesn't matter. Like I don't give a shit about Scott Morrison building a cubby house for his kids. He could be a good parent and an absolute despot. So who cares? I mean, a lot of despots are. And, and that's just propaganda. If you had to choose between somebody who personally, secretly in their heart, just really hated refugees, but everything that they did materially benefited them constantly versus somebody who in their heart loved them but destroyed their livelihoods Ooh. every opportunity they could. Who would you fucking choose? Yes. Let's get into virtue ethics. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, it's a philosophical school that I hate. I hate virtue ethicists. Let's get into let's dive into Mitch's philosophy corner. Let's go. Um well but to not do that, because um, I don't want to get into Mitch's philosophy corner. <laughs> Come just in, the right water's now, warm. Because <laughs> we're running out of time. Um, I think. The, also, he's better at it than we are. We would just lose. Yeah. I think the thing to it's a conversation. is it's a competition. A- I think the, the thing here isn't whether or not he cried or how he acts or talks about it. I don't give a shit about that. He's full of crap, and, and everything a prime minister says on, on the news where he isn't answering a, an aggressive question is propaganda. Um, I think the shitty thing here is that he, as a politician and a prime minister and a policymaker, you are responsible for establishing systems. You create the laws, you create the regulations that everybody has to follow. He can't turn around and say, I want this one person to go to a funeral. I don't know how or why he chose that one person, but I guarantee you she is not the only person who hasn't been able to go to a there's, funeral. And I feel for her. There's so many people who couldn't go to family members' funerals. There's a pandemic on. Exactly. There's there a, are people one who of the have died. Like, not being able to go to a funeral is a really shitty thing and a horrible thing to happen in your life, but definitely not the worst thing that has happened to anyone this pandemic. It wouldn't even break the top thousand, probably. But he's he's gone, ah... This person I can use for political ends. The Prime Minister should not be allowed to do anything about a single person. You're not allowed to make exceptions. If you want an exception, you've got to write that into the rules. I will say, though, that, I mean, there are there are exceptions. You can, um, like, lobby politicians for yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. Every single politician nope, this that one. is sitting, every single politician that is sitting in government now and that missed out on a seat last time as well, every single one of them has done a number of things for individual people and households monthly if not weekly Everything. my dad has a story about how like peter dutton has helped him personally jed kearney has helped people personally that is something that they do they do that regularly they do mm. that often it is a way to get vo- it is still political they're still doing it for political reasons they're not doing it out of the goodness of their fucking heart but yeah. you can go to individual members like the the auwu shout out to the australian unemployed workers union have a bit in their um like your rights guide their big pdf document with some examples of when politicians, sitting politicians, um, have intervened on the behalf of unemployed people to negotiate with their job service provider. It is a thing that happens. I don't know where I fall on whether or not they should be allowed to, but I definitely think that the Prime Minister shouldn't be able to run something like this, at least without pushback from fucking journalists. That's the thing. When it's so brazen and obvious, Lang, you're 100% correct, it shouldn't go skirting by. It shouldn't be something where, oh, we've got teary old ScoMo on the line now. He's a bit choked up. We're going to see if we can get through to him. What's up, bud? And he gets to go, oh, I feel for Australians and this horrible person from the Labor Party who's running Queensland because of the (laughs) Labor Party is doing these horrible things. Like, fuck off. I mean, we wouldn't be the first people to say that politicians shouldn't be, like, accepted on face value whenever they want to do a puff piece. But it drives me crazy that it's happening right now when we're in a recession, you know, 
unemployed people on the brink of not like being on the poverty line and so many people are going to be in that situation now within like a month and just to accept any sort of you know story like this just to like you know pull at the heartstrings is just the biggest load of wank I think oh yeah we should time- probably close on that is just pointing out that yeah our government's going to throw a bunch of people into poverty in a couple of weeks because we've got the the job seeker payment that is above the poverty line at the moment and that's keeping a lot of people out of poverty and in a couple of weeks even though they're still going to be locked down on they're reducing that payment to below the poverty line again uh for no gain I don't see him crying about that Shoutouts this week. We tipped it uh, earlier on in the show, but the 7am podcast is going to do an episode tomorrow uh, about uh, the Dan Andrews privatization contact tracing saga. Uh, This is a sort of risky shoutout because we haven't listened to it yet. Maybe it's bad, Uh, but no, they're 7am. They're going to be great. So uh, keep your ears out for that one. Um, as for actions, why not donate to the war chest of the Jabberung uh, Embassy? They're the uh, group that is trying to preserve the uh, sacred trees that are slated to be destroyed by uh, Dan Andrews. And, you know, you can you can help them out. So if you're feeling sore about Duke and Gorge, which is something that has already been blown up, maybe there's a hundreds and hundreds of year old uh, Aboriginal artifact that you can help to preserve. And that is the Jabberung birthing trees. If you feel like calling him Dictator Dan, you should definitely donate to the embassy. Just as a fuck you to Dan Andrews. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. Please share it to your friends and family far and wide and get in contact with us. We really love hearing from you guys. We are on all the socials at NotGoodPod and you can shoot us an email too. A totally encrypted and safe email, I've been told. NotGoodPod at <laughs> ProtonMail.com <laughs> Not true. Damn. <laughs> I thought that was the point of Proton Mail. If you send Proton Mail to Proton Mail, then it encrypts it. But if you send Gmail to Proton Mail, then it's oh, not. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm. Start yourself a Proton uh, Proton Mail email address and then send us some juicy corruption. Notgoodpod at protonmail.com. Yeah. Or just get in touch with a nice thing to say that's not about a crime. <laughs> just in and plain it- text. Bad OPSEC. Just <laughs> hit us up. <laughs> And if you're looking for a mattress, our friends at Koala. <laughs> Not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Uh, we want to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and to acknowledge that this land was never ceded.